Segunda Show. It's 10 p.m. and we're not done recording yet. We've got more podcasts to do. All night podcasts. All night podcasts. All night podcasts. You call this a quad, you say. (laughs) If you put a woman and a man together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and just so read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Aaron's on acid. Aaron's on soy latte. Aaron's caffeinated. Caffeinated is pretty much enough to get me. Can I tell you how impressed I am that you were damn near falling asleep and Uh, at 6 uh, p.m. And you are killing it now. I thought for sure you weren't going to even want to record. I'm going to be a big baby. I haven't, I still don't. I have been acting. (laughs) Acting. I think three episodes in? Thank you. Yeah, this is our third, I believe, but they've both the previous two have been long, and both of them that we recorded were supposed to be this one. Yeah. <laughs> each each time we recorded, we said that we were going to talk about snow globes, and I still don't believe we're actually going to do it. I don't believe. I think we're going to like fall into a recap of five seasons of Breaking Bad. We'll just. Be like, well, no, no, we'll get to the snow. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. But first. The most iconic snow globe. <laughs> Citizen Kane. <laughs> the opening the opening shot to Citizen Kane. Let's talk about that snow globe. The, tonight and more on Mormon and the Meth Head. <laughs> I feel like uh, we've each derailed one and now we are ready. We've each derailed one. So I am going to read the goddamn... I take a lot of screenshots. Did you know that about me? I absolutely knew that about you. You send them all to me. You send every screenshot to me. Here's the thing about the books that I reference in the podcast. Uh, they have embarrassing names. And so sometimes I'll share a screenshot in the Facebook group and then get messaged by uh, fans that are like, what's the name of that book? Or I'll reference it in the podcast and then I don't say the name of the book. And it's because, can we make self-help books with a little less embarrassing names? Is that yeah, possible? Yeah, like I'm sick of reading this book that's like my dirty, stinky pussy. And, <laughs> and you can't tell people that that's what you're reading. You're just like, Twilight? <laughs> Uh, New Dawn. This book. Um, the Alchemist. <laughs> <laughs> the Alchemist's Dirty Stinky Pussy. <laughs> Trying to yeah, I wish I could tear this dirty stinky pussy into gold. <laughs> <laughs> the Alchemist. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm not telling you the name of this book, but... Is it Love Me, Don't Leave Me? God damn you. <laughs> People want to know. All right. I was getting hyperactivated for no reason. And what I've learned even deeper than the attachment system, it's my threat system. Um, Jesus, how many systems do we, we have? We have so many. This is the amygdala. The central nervous, the public school, the, 
soy latte Aaron is on a roll I go I do samples I download samples of books and then I read them and all the ones with cool names are fucking dumb and then I find this one that's so much like I want shit written by psychotherapists you know I want to save money on therapy by just reading all their books and this one is so good it has like three different types of uh psychotherapy practices and breakdowns of how the brain works and for me when I'm having anxiety the only thing that makes me feel better is reading about what's happening same thing with when I'm having physical pain if I have a UTI and I do research on the mechanism of Which UTIs she always does <laughs> yeah I feel better I'm if I'm looking at pictures of inflamed urethras and Jesus. understanding how that works i can make the pain go away right, yeah i think that the phenomenon there is like uh taking something abstract into making it concrete when you in the midst of an anxious episode we feel terrible and the world is falling apart and it's all just like happening at once like a one giant static tornado running through your brain but if you can identify it and name it and call it something then you it's tangible yeah and it's manageable yeah you're like okay this is a thing and it's passing and other people feel it too and this is you know this is why it's happening yeah it makes a lot of sense to me it's very similar to when you're in labor if you are trying to run away or escape the pain it's far more painful but if you're just like i this is a contraction my body is contracting right now this pain this is uh, very painful. It was a pain. What color would it be? You know, I was kind of working through it. So when I am... Damn it. I can't believe I passed... When you said the thing about UTIs, I could have done a, a dirty, stinky pussy callback and yeah, I just missed it. Yeah, I was it. waiting for it. Ugh. Um, I uh, Not on a roll. Anyway, this book is called Love Me, Don't Leave Me and it's very embarrassing that it's called that. But I was looking up things about... It's not that embarrassing. It's a, sweet, it's a cute little title. Rolls off the tongue. Okay. I think I had Googled or searched for books on anxious activation or something. Anyway, so... So this is from uh, uh, the embarrassingly titled Love Me, Don't Leave yeah. Me. I love snow globes. They contain landmarks, cityscapes, and scenes that are reminders of a specific time or experience and the accompanying treasured moments. My daughter Kelly has a snow globe with some of the great landmarks of San Francisco, the Transamerica Pyramid, the Golden Gate Bridge. When she picks up the snow globe and shakes it, the snow falls and the scene comes to life. It's magical. It brings back memories of her experience in San Francisco. Now imagine a snow globe that contains your story, representations of your toxic childhood and adolescent experiences frozen in time. When your core beliefs get triggered, it's like shaking the snow globe. Suddenly your story, the scene, gets activated and brought to life. It brings back your painful memories of those experiences and the negative emotions, thoughts, and uncomfortable sensations. Your childhood is in the past, but your current situation is triggering your story and making you feel like you're back in it. So your natural instinct, your biologically driven need to protect yourself kicks in and you are engaged in a behavioral reaction designed to rid you of the painful thoughts and emotions, but instead it makes you feel worse. It is designed to help us though? It is, yeah. Okay. How is bringing all that stuff back up supposed to help us? So everyone has their core stories programmed into them and they are like, you know, worthlessness, fear of abandonment. We'll just stick with fear of abandonment until I pull them up. Whatever experiences you had as a child where you felt abandoned or were actually abandoned are now saved as your story. And when your threat response detects an abandonment approaching 
it stirs up your story and then your story just exists on the current reality as like a layer and uh, your threat system is trying to protect you from experiencing that experience again but in most cases it just causes you to almost create that experience yeah again. okay so what are the different systems another reaction to a triggering interaction is called old tapes Old tapes refers to your reaction to another person as if he or she is your parent. This is also referred to as parataxic distortion. The more intense the emotional the emotions that get activated, the more likely it is that you are responding to your parent or the offending person from your past and not the person who you are with at the moment. We talk about that a lot. Uh, I mean, not just you and me. I just mean people in general. I think oh, we call it projecting and stuff. And do you know what TV show was pretty formative for me? It was Lost. Lost. I never the- saw one episode of that show. Ah, uh, man. I do. I think it's there's some, especially early seasons, are still quality television worth watching. But I do think it's one of those things where you had to. Yeah, you, you might have just missed it. You know. Yeah. It won't be the same. That was the last great television show when we it was the last show that people were watching at the same time you know it was on it was on abc on primetime a certain night of the week whatever it was and people were watching that show and then it was also at like the early so not early internet but like the beginning of social media on internet like people were watching the show uh, at the same time and then getting online and talking about everything that happened and talking about theories and talking about what they think is going to happen next week. And then we would just talk about it until the next episode happened, you know? Yeah. And it was, it was really cool, but it influenced a lot of me too. And a lot of the ways that I like to tell stories and the stories that I'm interested in, because especially in early season, like in season one and two, every episode, uh, was about delving into a person's backstory there would be some sort of drama that was happening on the island and then there would be a series of flashbacks to a certain character's past that would explain his behavior today on the island you know it was like they 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 would be there would be some conflict between two people or whatever is happening and uh, you would get to see why they were making the choices they were today based on their uh, past behavior. Oh, like, I love that. Uh, yeah, like Jack had all these problems with his dad, for instance. He had all these issues with his dad and his never being enough for his dad. And there would be episodes where like you'd get to see them as like children getting bullied or something and then you'd see them on the island and how they react to any sort of threat, you know, and you could like you could see you it was a show about empathy i thought uh, a show that made you feel for every single character there were people that did bad things but you still loved them because you understood why they were doing bad things and 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 stuff like that and uh so i don't it's not an idea that's super um uh new i think i've never heard it called old tapes before but i definitely know that uh, i am reacting to old stuff all the time yeah and like i am pretty i think i'm pretty good at at acknowledging it and stopping it while you know maybe not in that exact moment but i think i'm pretty quick at saying at taking a breath and saying sorry that's not about you yeah i'm upset at at this you know yeah that just reminded me of that we use the word triggered now yeah i don't think we were using it when lost was on tv but uh you know we get we're we so much more self-aware now uh-huh 
thanks to shows like Lost. I found the list of the core beliefs, but rather than uh, reading the descriptions, which I think weren't that great, I'm going to read the things that trigger them. Okay. So the first one's the abandonment core belief. Pretty obvious uh, Mm -hmm. what that is. Uh, Things that trigger it are a change in someone's behavior. Examples, he usually texts or calls every day and you haven't heard from him for a day. Uh, You aren't getting the reassurance that you need. The other person has relationships that feel threatening to your relationship. Any behavior that can be perceived as rejecting, i.e. a shorter than normal phone call, a tone of voice that is flat, bored, sarcastic, or angry. The other person is distracted while you're having a conversation, canceling or rescheduling plans, periods of separation, explained and unexplained. So uh, somebody with an abandonment core belief that they deserve to be abandoned or that they will uh, always end up being abandoned will be triggered by all these things. A change change in mood, an argument, any behavior that you experience as disconnection. So that's my core belief, obviously. (laughs) There's not Mm -hmm. a fucking thing on there. A lot of people have more than one. Are they all negative? Does anyone, is anyone blessed with a core belief that's like, I'm great? Well, this is about negative core beliefs. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, we all have both. Okay. Um, triggers for the mistrust and abuse core belief, which is belief that you will be abused. Uh, the other person exhibiting any negative emotion, particularly anger, any criticism, even when it is meant to be constructive unexplained or explained time apart the other person's desire to know more about you or to get closer the other person's desire for intimacy or attempts at intimacy so triggers in this one would be being criticized at in any way um or those or them trying to love you Mm -hmm. okay all right go ahead uh so i think that that uh mistrust is a fear of intimacy is what we would call that probably okay uh emotional deprivation core belief things that trigger it are lacks an understanding of you or lacks an interest in understanding you does not express his or her emotions or can't handle your expression of emotions does not ask what you need doesn't seem interested in getting to know you on a deeper level or take things to a deeper connection I don't relate to any of those. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like someone like that just couldn't get close to me. Behaviors that trigger defectiveness, core belief. Defective, defectiveness is worthlessness. Like what we would call you worthlessness. Suck. You're yeah. the problem. Any perceived or stated disappointment in you, any criticism, Ooh. constructive or otherwise, disapproval, feeling like the other person has seen the real or flawed you, yeah. others' desire to get to know you, mm. absent or inconsistent reassurance. That one sounds, that's the, the first, that's one sounds closest to me so far. Yeah. And defectiveness was the only description I liked because it was like, I'm worthless. If anybody really knew who I was, they would run away. I can never let anyone close enough to see the real me because they would realize that they don't actually love me, blah, blah, blah. Right. Failure core belief triggering behaviors include being compared to others, being with someone who you feel is better than you, any situation that makes you feel less than, any criticism, construction or constructive or otherwise, others desire to get to know you. That's interesting. There's um, a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. So and then there's behavioral reactions to core belief triggering situations. So I'm just going to read our, our core belief triggering. Uh, mine's abandonment. So uh, you become clingy. You may start arguments consciously or unconsciously to test the relationship this can turn into a self-fulfilling prophecy you push others away so often that they do leave you i've definitely caught myself doing that i've caught myself just when things get leveled out 
for a minute, the absence of breaking up and getting back together feels like you're just leaving. And I have caught myself doing that. Yeah, yeah. That was a big problem for us that like uh, where I felt like it doesn't matter what I do. doesn't matter what I do. You're always mad about something. It's like, it's like, look, things are good. I'm doing all, I made these changes. I'm doing things that you wanted. And then you start a fight about something, you know, but yeah. like you're just reacting to this, your core belief being triggered. All right. Tell me about uh, the behaviors for defectiveness. Okay. Abandonment are you be, uh, become clingy, oh. may start arguments consciously or unconsciously to test the relationship. This can turn into a self-fulfilling prophecy. You get involved with people who are unavailable, i.e. they live in different locations. They are in another relationship. You have incompatible schedules or you avoid relationships so you can't be abandoned. Nice. So that is the type of avoidant that I am. I just like avoid from the gate. Um defectiveness behavioral reactions you are drawn to people who are critical of you you criticize others you hide your true self you demand reassurance you have difficulty hearing criticism you criticize yourself in front of others you compare yourself unfavorably to others well this is a crock of shit (laughs) (laughs) maybe i'm not defective after all uh that's all uh, pretty spot on. I think there was one that I didn't. Uh, I don't think I do. I don't think you demand reassurance. I've never. Oh, seen are that. you kidding? I I really. I crave reassurance. I don't know if I demand it, but I crave it. Re- I'll ask for it too. I do it a lot. Oh my god! Yeah, sorry. I, ask, I just I ask, I'm like with me, you don't. But I ask for like... <laughs> reassurance all the time. Even no, I th- feel like with you, I ask for it. I'm now uh, remembering the conversation on the uh, phone with your dad. Can I say that? Yeah, I just, that that came to my mind. I straight up t- told my dad, I was like, I need you to reassure me. I say I, I say things like that. Um, words of affirmation are very, it was like one of my love languages. Like I like physical touch, but I need words of affirmation. I feel so uh, like upset and unappreciated all the time. I just need people to tell me thank you. Like, hey, I see the work that you're doing. Like when I, when you and me are doing work, uh, uh, like I'm getting a bunch of work done from the podcast. Like I need you to say, uh, Hey, I, I noticed you're doing a bunch of work this week. Thanks. Like, uh, I need, I need reassurance from people in lots of different ways. Like I, I need to hear it. I, it, otherwise like it's, it's difficult. So that, that wasn't the, there was one, there was another one on the list though that I was like, I don't know if I do that. Like it's, uh, cause I think maybe just criticism. I, I handle criticism pretty well, from other people, but I do criticize myself a ton, especially in front of other people. Everything I say is qualified. Before I share my opinion, I put myself down. I'm like, well, it's not like I know a lot about this or whatever. Or, yeah. Or I criticize. I criticize myself a lot. I compare myself to other people unfavorably all the time. Uh, but I do think that I am pretty okay at handling criticism. But uh, I do like I don't know. I take I only in, thought I take like internet you don't criticism like hard. you don't like roasting. Yeah, uh, yeah, I hate yeah. I take it super personally. I think what an interesting paradox here though that you are drawn to people who are critical of you. Yeah, man, it's what uh we said to uh, with uh, Hampton today, right? It's like it echoes our our own belief, and so you seek it out because it resonates and it feels something like that feels good. Like when people are love me too much. I, it makes me uncomfortable and it makes me uncomfortable because it clashes with my core belief 
that I am defective, you know? Yeah. So if you find people that are critical of me, I can't really, I don't, yeah, critical maybe not the best word, but I definitely like seek out people that don't love me. It's yeah. easier. It's easier to chase someone that doesn't love me than someone that sees me. Like, I don't know if I, if I seek out people that are critical as much as I run from people that are complimentary. Yeah. People that are comp- super complimentary of me are idiots. I'm like, well, okay, you're just like horny for me or something. And you just have a really inflated idea of what I am because I am not any of these things you are saying. And like that, this is the trap. If I continue to let you think this and we pursue something together, then you're just going to find out that I'm none of these things and then you'll just leave. And that what will hurt is that I allowed myself to believe the bullshit that you were spewing out of your mouth. Because when you leave, it will be obvious that like I wasn't ever any of those things. Yeah. 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 Wow. Who needs a therapist when you've got a podcast like ours? Here, here is the series of things I figured out about myself. We we did an episode about attachment theory. I was about two months into understanding attachment. And we had gotten a very effective system down of using language like activated. And uh, once one of us said that we were activated, the other one, uh, mostly uh, when I got activated, you got very good at meeting uh, needs and helping me come down out of the rafters yeah so you're activated in a very anxious way right and you would need reassurance yeah and i usually like that would activate me and make me want to run away yeah you know and that same kind of bad cycle that me and tabitha had and which by the way helped me have a lot more empathy and understanding for her when i when i was like feeling exactly how she must have felt when uh she was running away from me and i was like oh okay well i'm capable of doing this exact same thing it's not really that mean or cruel. It's just kind of self-preservation in in your mind, right? So that would normally trigger me uh, to to take more space. And uh, instead, I was like, okay, you would say, hey, I'm activated. And I would go, okay, she needs reassurance. Just make sure you give it to her and just, you know, tell her it's okay and all these things. And just I'd be close with you. So there were a lot of times where just you saying, what do you need right now? Or I love you or just like sitting close and it would just stop. And then something else started, which I uh, now know was my threat system. You being close and loving in those situations didn't help. It, it was a different kind of anxiety and uh, it wasn't something that checking in because you were you were batting a thousand. This was something else. I was like I became very uh, suspicious. At that point, I started to feel kind of like hopelessness and despair because I felt like, okay, now I'm getting everything I've wanted, and I am freaking the fuck out. I feel like I'm being tricked. There's one point where I send you a message and tell you like, I am having a really hard time and that here are all my thoughts. Uh, You were talking for a second, I sent that long message and then you didn't respond for a while. And in that time, I felt like I did with the Aubrey Plaza stuff where I'm like in a room and getting like 
berated and bombarded with all these thoughts and, and feelings and stuff. And then two hours goes by and it's unbearable. It's or an hour even. I don't know. It was unfucking bearable. And then you got back online and a text that you had sent me before I sent you the long one pops up. And I realized because I needed this time with this. Yeah, because I was going to lunch with my fake sister and I sent you a message that was like, because we'd been talking and I was like, all right, now I'm going to lunch, so I'm not going to be able to talk. And uh, I hit send and it just never sent. It never sent. It never sent. And it just, just sent. It just sat in the ether until until I came back and like uh, I was replying to your big message. Yeah. And you know, like, as soon as I opened Messenger back up, then the thing like finished sending and it was like now is here and it's had like a a timestamp on it from two hours ago yeah but was beneath your message you know and i was just like and i knew that you'd been freaking out because i had like a missed call from you and stuff and i was like oh no oh baby oh hey i'm so sorry i'm so i can't believe that message didn't send i'm so sorry uh this has been torture for you i can't believe that you've just been sitting here thinking that i didn't want to respond to that message i'm so sorry i'm so sorry and uh you were just kind of laughing about it like oh this fucking universe man yeah and then i'm like okay whatever this is that is acting as if it is protecting me is not helping me at all and this is a some type of system some type of security system within me gone awry And this is when I uh, found this book and talks about core fears. And then I realize beyond an attachment system, there is something in me that is trying to protect me from something. And it's so much deeper and worse than just like love and attachment. And so I start following the feelings back And when I did Paul Gilmartin's podcast, he called it PTSD in the, uh, in the title and something about that. I'm not gonna say irked me, but I remember being like, I wonder why he said that I didn't mention PTSD and I just dismissed it very similarly to how I dismissed me being anxious, preoccupied. And I'm sitting in the bath and I feel defeated I feel incapable of love. Do you ever feel good in the bath? Are you only ever in the bath I when I get in the bath upset. to comfort myself. I get in the bath because I get cold, but a lot of times I get cold because I'm uh, like... Oh. I, so the bath is definitely like when I don't feel safe, when I feel uncomfortable, I go get in the bath. Mm. So I take long ass baths when I'm in LA by myself. Um, <laughs> I'm in the bath and uh, I feel broken in my head i feel like i have exhausted every uh, fucking like i'm never going to be better i'm going to be someone that doesn't get to have love and i never think this kind of i'm just someone who just like plows through life i'm not usually someone like i never think i'm not going to find a solution but this is how i felt i felt like i figured it out we figured it out we had a system in place it was going fine and then it it almost short-circuited like it was so much worse And so uh, PTSD pops in my head and I start looking into PTSD and then I start looking into childhood PTSD. And um, a lot of things that I talk about as like quirky Jessa-isms, I only realized this year that um, since we started this podcast that I was so weird because I was getting molested. 
I didn't connect that. Like when I tell the story now, I say you it mean, like, like things, yeah, wonder things, quirky things about you as a kid. As you a mean? kid, yeah. The 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 constant lying and making up like false lives that I would tell people and stuff, and like uh, pretending to be a dog for an entire vacation and. Um, all of this like fantasy that I needed life to be and stuff was all like disassociation and uh, because of the trauma. But I didn't know that. I didn't know. I talk about it now like I've always known that, but I didn't know that until recently. And I feel like all of this experience is because I, I have to acknowledge how fucked up I got. I got super fucked up. I got very hurt I was very abandoned. My mom left when I was two. Like, we don't even talk about that. But my mom left when I was two, and I didn't see her again until I was five. And I don't remember that. But I know my kids at two. Uh, you know, this is when object permanence really starts to take place. And yeah, uh, I... We, go ahead. We split up when Ethan was three. And it was... Uh, I mean, it's a, not a bad... If you got to get divorced, it's not a bad age to get divorced because they're going to forget most of it. But uh, it was hard for him to go from one parent to the other parent. It was rough. Yeah. You just... You know, after a little while, you'd forget and stuff. But he, it almost seemed like he was never happy to see the other parent. He yeah. Was just, he was just crying about leaving this one because... We also didn't have a regular schedule at all. I mean, like we still don't, but uh, it's we, you know, we've got a, at least a better system in place where he knows. Like when we tell him, we're like, all right, you know, I'm gonna see you in a week, or I'm gonna see you in four days, or I'm gonna see you in ten days, or something like that. But when he's three, is he had no idea how long it was gonna be before he saw the his dad again, or he saw his mom again, and it was uh, hard for him to say goodbye yeah and usually like uh as soon as you get him in the house he's totally fine he's forgotten about it but like he would cling to the to the parent because it was scary so i think that's still i mean two years old is definitely is even is got to be way worse than three you just like what you were you're talking about in the um uh, attachment episode just like a parent walk out of the room when the kid's you know nine months old yeah uh it's terrifying I don't remember her leaving. Uh, I've never heard any stories about it. I do have a memory of the day she left, but I think it's a manufactured memory from hearing the story. I do like remember them fighting in front of my TV while I was watching Incredible Hulk in the living room. Um, like with Lou Ferrigno, Incredible Hulk? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was my favorite show when I was a kid. Bling, 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 bling. Uh, when my dad took me out to my mom, I, I remember not knowing that she was my mom like I had no memory of her and I remember thinking she was a lady that my dad got me I don't think I it, it ever clicked to me that it was my actual mom uh I don't know how to articulate what that means but she always just felt like a like a substitute an addition to the uh like a late addition to the cast or something mm, um like, like I the never second Aunt Viv I never ever 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 felt like she wanted me I have one or two memories of her seeming like she liked me and actually probably more than that but almost all of them are on the day that she was taking me to the airport to go see my dad for the summer 
all my good memories are like that day before she would take me to the airport would be nice. That doesn't mean that those things don't exist. You know, she, she remembers a different version of it. So I'm not saying that that's not how it happened. What I can tell you is that I was anxious, preoccupied 24 seven. And this is something that I haven't thought about in a long time. This is something that our dynamic triggered. Um, I could not stop thinking about whether or not I was wanted. Like that's all I cared about it was like uh, uh, people wanting me to be there. And that's why I would like make up these stories. Uh, I would like try to be entertaining enough, uh, interesting enough for people to want me around. But also I wanted to live in this fantasy world that was the TV. You know, I wanted to live in one of these shows that I had watched because I hated uh, my life. But I did not feel wanted and I did not feel worth anything and uh I never thought about anything else when I was a kid and that's a weird thing for me to have uh forgotten about but it is all a snow globe now the tiniest the tiniest and now I'm noticing that I'm doing it with people more than you but it's uh, I interact with you most but the tiniest perceived rejection and uh, all of a sudden I am a six-year-old with a mother that doesn't want me anxiously trying to take her temperature to see if uh, she wants me there or if she's mad at me. And every time it was quiet, I was positive she was mad at me. And so I would try to engage her in conversation so that I could watch her uh, body language and hear her inflection. I did this with all adults, but it was all centered around feeling unwanted by her. And when Frank was and doing... so you've got to, like, just so I understand the snow globe metaphor a little bit more. Do you mind if I... No, go. Do, do we all... We all got many snow globes. Like, is this like your snow globe is like your memory of that of that time, or uh, like so you there's this there's this snow globe on the shelf somewhere that's you when you're six, right? And when uh, something happens today in 2019 that feels like rejection, it's like picking up that snow globe and shaking it. Yeah, and uh, suddenly like all uh, like you're you're back. It's not okay. So, so I think I, the, the metaphor that she uses is because then later she talks about uh, the scenery. And I thought that she was just saying that the snow of the snow globe, will f like I envisioned it, like I'm sitting here having an interaction with a person in front of me, but the snow of my childhood trauma is now floating around the room. Mm -hmm. I heard someone else use a Photoshop layer metaphor where your trauma is just a layer that will color the entire experience that you're currently having. So uh, something super minor, uh, some minor perceived rejection or some minor perceived abandonment, and I am having all of the feelings and thoughts of a traumatized child. But I'm not thinking, oh, this is my childhood trauma that I'm feeling right now. I'm thinking... You're just really upset at uh, what's happening right he now. He hates me. Uh, he wishes I would go away. Uh, he's never going to talk to me again. Um, and logically, somewhere, there's a part of your brain that doesn't that knows that's wrong. Right. Like, that's crazy talk. Like, look at the evidence around you. Like, this is nothing to be this upset about. And I think we get upset at ourselves because we are upset. You know, you're just like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Yeah. And you just stop and acknowledge 
like what and we've talked about uh pain as a roadmap right yeah so it's, it's in those moments that you have to map it back to whatever it is and find what where that snow is really coming from if it doesn't seem like it should be coming from this where is it so the next thing i learned about in this book was uh your threat detection system and if your story gets activated then your threat detection system uh comes into effect and then you get into fight flight freeze Oh, this is a good, uh, a good fuck. That's the fourth good, option. Actually, um, signs that you are reacting to memories. So this is signs that the reaction that you're having is not uh, about about this, this current moment. moment. Here are five signs that you are reacting to memories of the painful experiences that created your core beliefs and your story. Number one, you feel an instant rush of intense negative emotion in reaction to an interaction. You mm-hmm. feel the need to protect yourself. Okay. That's huge. Number two, it's an old and familiar feeling. The emphasis is on how familiar it feels. Jeez. Yeah. Three, it's a reoccurring feeling. Shame, anger, sadness, disappointment, etc. Four, you feel like you are mind reading. You are making assumptions about the person and or predictions about the situation and outcome. Five, you experience fear of abuse or rejection when there is no basis for fear. Hmm. This is something that I have been in my head trying to come up with uh, uh, something to put because it feels so real and I can't even decipher what I am creating in my mind versus what is actually happening. And uh, I just had something the other day where a friend uh, I haven't seen in a year who lives in L.A., was I uh, invited him to do the podcast and then afterwards, because I keep thinking this is only you because this is where these big, these big uh, painful ones are happening, right? But uh, we saw each other a year ago and I just walked away from, and that's probably like six months into me getting activated and stuff. And um, I walked away like, he doesn't actually like me. He doesn't actually like me and we just don't, uh, you know, need to pretend. And it felt like uh, just a clear assessment on my part. People don't like me sometimes. I don't, I just like write them all. I don't care. And I like this person, but it's just not the big of a deal. And then he was like, uh, we, we scheduled the podcast. And he was like, we should catch up, by the way. I feel like I haven't seen you in forever. And then I was like, oh, this is just a nice thing that he's saying. And I'm not someone that has low self-esteem and just walks around assuming the worst about myself. But I'm now seeing where this, all this core belief stuff has seeped in. And maybe I do have lower self-esteem than I thought. Like maybe I have taken a hit of unresolved trauma coming to the surface and it has it has infiltrated more than I thought. And so I assume he's just uh, okie-dokie me or whatever. So I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm around for this week. And he's like, okay, let's do this time. Da, da, da. I'm super excited. And I was like, me too. And he's like, no, seriously, I can't wait. And like very obvious that he was being sincere and may have even felt like I had been, yeah, to him. And then I started thinking like, oh man, there has been a lot there have been a lot of people, uh, I don't talk about it, but there has been a lot of people that I'm like, oh, that person doesn't like me. And they'll like invite me to stuff on Facebook. And I'm like, that must have been a mistake. Like just real <laughs> sneaky shit that like you talk about thoughts like that. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have any of those Yeah, thoughts. when you're like, I saw like I just walk around all day thinking low self-esteem thoughts. And I was like, oh, uh, must be nice. <laughs> And uh, I just don't, I don't think I ruminate on them too hard because I think I mm, am You gotta someone. let them ruminate. You gotta let them ruminate. It's a good, uh, yeah, it's nice. Uh, so I 
<laughs> had a terrible experience this last week. Recently, uh, at the end uh, at the end of last season, I had really repaired my relationship with my ex. I had this revelation about my ego and about external enemies. We don't have any. There's no such thing as an external enemy. So that means she's not Tabitha's not my enemy. And it was this huge revelation for me where I wasn't mad at her anymore. I let go of all this anger that I had and I felt so much better and then we had a phone call where she told me that she had recently had a, a, an experience similar to mine and it was beautiful. We reconciled and ever since then we had just been like co-parenting for the first time really and doing a great job and making compromises and doing things together and doing things in Ethan's best interest. And it was just wonderful. And I was filled with hope. And I honestly was like, what else will we talk about on this podcast? <laughs> like now that, now that I'm completely fixed, uh, what else? But luckily there's an infinite onion of trauma. <laughs> you just peel back layer after layer We'll get there. This last week, I was already activated, to to use that uh, terminology. I was having a, a rough week or whatever, and uh, old Tabby wanted to do a joint-like activity, all three of us. And I really wasn't looking forward to it, I didn't, but I was like, yeah, just let's just do it. So what he, I asked Ethan if he wanted to. He was really excited about it. And I was like, I'll do anything that you want to do, man. And then uh, we had a phone call. She asked if she could call me while he was in school one day. And I was like, okay. And we talk. And as we we're talking, we start talking about old stuff. Like past things. And I got so upset so fast so fucking fast unbelievably mad and it we were supposed to all go hang out that night and i was so mad i couldn't call i was trying for hours to calm myself down and i uh it took me a long long time to do it and um it immediately felt familiar uh i wow. remembered it I, rem I could remember being this mad years ago. Like the beginning of the divorce, this is how I always was. I was always this mad. I could remember being on my, like just in boxing in front of my mirror, doing push-ups, doing a uh, lifting weights, it just full of rage because I had nowhere to go, nothing to do with it. I just had, I, I couldn't do anything with it. I was just so mad. Uh, and it, all these memories are coming back. I haven't felt this way in a while because right. I've been doing a lot of healing. I've I'm very zen these days. I'm very I'm very enlightened, you know. Uh, and here and it just came back like uh, like an old habit, just boom, right uh, back in it to it. And I was mad for days. It was it was pretty bad, like. So the thing with the conversation, with the reconciliation that we had, we kind of just told each other that we loved each other and that we were sorry, you know, and that things were, were, went wrong and it's okay now and we f forgive each other, but it was all very generic. Um, and I think I had a fantasy in my head that, uh, 
all these things where I felt wronged by her, she was sorry for. And she knew that she was wrong. Right. But then when we got into specifics of it on this uh, most recent phone call, uh, it turns out, uh, no, she does not. Uh, she was. She felt like, no, I was right. I was right to do those things. Um, specifically... The my biggest my biggest problem my biggest touchstone was when uh, she thought that I was uh, a danger to Ethan. She thought I was a danger to Ethan that she had to keep him away from me, and so she was like, there was a point in time where she was keeping him away from me, and like, do uh, when we like I filed papers and she countered with all this stuff about how she should have full custody, and uh, she included a whole bunch of like like text messages that I had sent as pr- and like talked about my mental health and said like, you know, like he's depressed and suicidal and uh, you know, he blah, 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 all these things really hurt. There was one phone call in particular when she said, you have serious mental and emotional issues. And I worry every day that they will ooze onto Ethan. And I w- thought that she would just apologize for it. I thought right. she would just go, Oh yeah, I'm sorry. But she was like, no, uh, you have to understand. Like for me, it was, uh, I didn't know it was hard to, you know, give Ethan over to you. And I didn't know like where you were, where you were at and all this stuff. And I, it, I was just instantly so white hot, angry, so mad it hurts so so bad all those feelings from that day that she first said it were back and uh i felt them all again and i'm trying i was trying to just stand up for myself i know i said words like you know what no i'm a great dad i was always a great dad even at my worst i was still a great dad and like i did everything for ethan even when i when i couldn't do anything for myself i was there you know i put him to bed and then just sink into a despair all night and somehow when the sun came up i was back being a dad somehow like i and i fucking did it without your help while you were making things worse for me all these things i'm a great dad blah 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 but i didn't like i was still just i don't know i like needed her to say it i needed her to be like you're absolutely right i am wrong and if she wouldn't then i was still just gonna feel this awful you know and um i managed to pull myself together to go out that night and go hang out with them it was happy for ethan and stuff but the shitty feelings persisted for days and there were so many habits that just came back physically my body i i my eating habits changed and and i could and like the same thing uh as like the anger i recognized it i was like oh this is how i used to be uh in a few years ago yeah two years ago i uh suddenly couldn't go to sleep and you know me, I love going to sleep. Yeah. I love it. But now I'm staying up till 5 a.m. every night, uh, which is what I used to do in the beginning of the divorce. I just feel so awful. I would just stay, I would just stay up. Uh, the other memory that came back to me was uh, when a few days go by and she comes to pick up uh, Ethan and I go, I go back upstairs after she's taken him and I lay down on my bed and I just looked at pictures of Ethan on my phone and started like editing a photo of him for my Instagram post. Right. Uh, and I remembered I used to do this all the time. Every time that she'd take Ethan back, I would go through the photos that I took of him 
while I had him that that right. stretch and I would pick some and I would post them on Instagram. And like now, like after we had talked about um, attachment stuff, one of the things, uh, uh, what is it called? It's called like activation strategy. What is that called? Yeah. Uh, when you, uh, yeah, like an anxious preoccupied person is constantly trying to feel closer to uh, their attachment figure. So they do activating strategies. And some of those are like looking at pictures. Yeah. And so I could recognize, I feel like I used to be uh, very anxiously attached to Ethan. Yeah. And as I've uh, healed and gotten a little bit more zen, uh, you know, I am not as preoccupied with him when I'm, when I'm not around him. Like right. I can just let him live his life with his mom. I don't need to call him all the time and check in with him. And I don't need to, I, I used to like on every trip have at least one night where I sadly looked at all like photos of him on my phone, you know, and I yeah. stopped doing that. And, uh, Suddenly, I'm like laying in bed that morning and I'm doing this activation strategy, which I haven't done in a long time. And I'm like, I am old me. I'm old me. I thought I was past this. I thought I was done with this. I thought I was healed. I thought I was, I thought I had grown. I thought I had learned all my lessons. And all it took was one fucking phone call and I'm right back in it. I'm right back here. And it fucking sucks. I hate it. And I don't. I still don't think I'm over it. I still feel pretty sad. Uh, like I've been this whole time, this whole week. It's been uh, all, like tomorrow. It's been six days now. Six days. I just still feel sad from this one interaction with her because it touched on, I guess, the feeling of defectiveness, of feeling like, uh, especially when you're talking about it, like in relationship to Ethan like as a parent. That's yeah. my biggest. That's my biggest trigger right there. You say I'm like I'm a, I'm bad for Ethan. Oh, that fucking sucks. And especially that night, the night the, of the of the phone call of the fight after we had hung out. I'm trying to get Ethan into a car seat, and he's just you know he's too hyper. He's had a bunch of candy and like a bunch of attention from both of his parents. He's just had a great night, and he doesn't want to do what he's told. You know, he's just hype. And I'm like being a really good dad and just giving him chances and just being calm and just like telling him like, you know, do you want to get in your car seat or do you want me to put you in your car seat? Do you want me to give you a countdown? Do you want to have a timeout instead? Just like all this stuff. Finally, we get to the point where he's he's forcing me to put him into his car seat. And he's that's the choice that he's picked. And uh, then I grab him. And I grab him a little too uh, scary. I was, like I lost my temper just a little bit for just like this split second, you know. I just kind of grabbed his leg, like I grabbed his, like he's climbing over into the trunk of the of the Prius, and I'm like snatching him back to put him into his car seat, you know. And I grab his pant leg, and as soon as I grab his pant leg, he just starts crying, screaming, and he says, "I just want to die." And I was like, "What?" And he goes, I just want to die. And I uh, really, I have the most emo six-year-old, I think. <laughs> yeah. the, mo the most emo six-year-old. Uh, later, later that evening, I would, I would, uh, we spent, after we calmed down, we spent some time tra talking about like how he was behaving and how it wasn't very nice and it was disrespectful and it wasn't nice. And he just like looked out the window and sighed and said, Dad, maybe nice isn't my thing. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus. 
He also loves Rob Zombie and yeah. uh and anyway, he's, he's so much very, personality. Already. I know. Uh but him saying I just want to die uh was very triggering because uh we had just been talking about like uh you know you have serious mental and emotional problems and I fear every day that they will ooze onto Ethan. And uh I'm like, oh shit, he learned he's already learned suicide from me. Like he already had like longs for death. Yeah. <laughs> he's six. He's six years old and he longs for the sweet release of death. <laughs> I feel I do like triggering aside. It is, it does make me sad to talk about, uh, but I lo- the logical part of my brain does feel like I handled it. Okay. Cause I, I went immediately calm. I tried to share my calm with him, you know, it was just right. this one little split second mistake that I made. And after that, it was okay. And I, uh, I, part of me wanted to like, had this thought of like, don't, I don't ever want to hear you say something like that. And I, but I never, I didn't say that out loud because I knew that that was something in me was like, don't ever tell him that. Right. Like, uh, then when he's feeling suicidal, he won't tell you, you know, right. like that'll be programmed into his brain and you want him to tell you that. But I did ask him why. I was like, why do you want to die? And he said, because I don't want to be around you anymore. Like, <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. You're going to be unbearable at 13. <laughs> at 13, I'm going to uh, have you on constant suicide watch. <laughs> like, But I, it was, I, I think that that's part of why the, the sadness has, has been lasting so long. Because I felt like, oh, she's right. You know, I, I am a bad influence on him. Like there's some part of my brain that is, that is feeding that story now. And, uh, I don't know how to make it go away. I don't like, even right now, when I, as I told myself, like, Aaron, you had a split second mistake. You did this really good. You did that really good afterwards. You did this really good. You're a good dad. I can't make that story go away. I still feel shitty. And like, I want her to fix it you know I, uh and to so what do we do what an uh well i think there's a connection there so you feel like you want her to fix it right because you believe yourself to be defective and you only want the approval of people that also believe you to be defective people i'm not saying that she yeah. believes you to be defective no, 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 but no. you know what i but mean like if, if that, like, someone that's else the told me i was a good dad that wouldn't be enough like i need her to think i need her to say it you know yeah you need people who are critical of you to approve of you or people who aren't capable of giving you love because i i guess what the psychology would be is that you i don't that's think it's just believe. that she's critical of me i do think it's also because She's his mom and was the love of my life. And like, I've got all these, I've got all these snowflakes in a snow globe that are all tied to her, you know? Right. Like the thing, the, the, we, when you sent me those things, it's, you didn't even really know what was going on with me that much. Uh, I didn't share a ton with you until later, but you sent me those snow globe pages and I could say like, okay, clearly this is all the feelings from that. Right. Which I thought I had let go that night of my ego revelation. I thought I had let go of it all. I thought I was done with it. I thought I was healed. I had forgiven myself, her, at that situation. Like it was, that chapter is over. And it's like, not. It's just like, it just takes a little shake. And then all those snowflakes come down. 
and I am just uh, once again someone who is starving for her approval and her love, which I haven't in a while. I right. gave up on that and I was okay with it. And I was like, didn't need it anymore. I didn't need her to love me anymore. And then the second we started being friends again, like I, I fucking needed it. I don't, I don't like it. I don't, I think like maybe we accelerated our reconciliation too much and we're not ready. I'm not ready to like be as talk, talking as much as, as we were or something. But I, was I was there again. I was there again and I was in the middle of this trauma from the divorce three years ago and just screaming. It was terrible. Do you feel like there was part of you that wanted her to love you again? Yeah, and that was really embarrassing. It's really embarrassing. Like I I knew she wasn't ever gonna love me again. And I knew that and I was okay with it. And then suddenly like the slightest bit of affection that she showed to me like turned me into like I don't think I completely turned transformed, but there's some part of me that woke up and that, and that part of me was like an eager little puppy dog that was just like, you know? Yeah. And it, I don't think I noticed it until I realized that until I felt unloved. Right. Like everything yeah. was fine. We were just like, uh, like platonic friends and we're, like, even in the beginning of that phone call, I was pretty like distant. She was like trying to tell me stuff, uh, about like how her sister misses me and wanted to reconnect. And I was like, yeah, I don't really give a shit. I don't care. You know, uh, I don't know. You know, I'm just kind of talking like this. And then the second I feel like she thinks less of me, right? I'm I'm crying. I'm up so upset that she doesn't love me. And then that was embarrassing. I said things to her, like I let her like, and I like shared feelings with her in like after I got activated, and that embarrassed me more. Like, and I told her about like you know I just said I, I said pathetic things. Things that I used to say uh, that I hated myself for saying, just like begging her to love me, like that old guy. Like I was, yeah. I was saying things that were similar to that, and I hated myself for it. So embarrassed that I would be that vulnerable in front of her again. That I would, that I would let her see me upset. That I would let her hear me cry. That I would say things like, uh, you know, you are the love of my life. That I. That I, yeah, I said a bunch of, a bunch of vulnerable shit and like, I can't hide the fact that like there was this part of me that wanted her to love me again. Like I was excited about that, even if I didn't think about it consciously and it sucks. The, uh, the solution, and I'm only a little bit of the way into the book Mm -hmm. is awareness and awareness to the point. So it just, it's the pain never goes away. The pain of your core beliefs never goes away and accepting that first is the first step and then the big issue is allowing your core belief to ruin your present moment so what is happening for me is present moment good things are triggering my threat detector and then I am ruining and depriving myself of something that I actually want because I am afraid that love and vulnerability for me just feels like the next step is abandonment. And so the fear of that gets triggered. And then I feel like I have to protect myself from the love that I'm feeling uh, because it is about to be abandonment. And 
sort of what you've said, but it's like not conscious at all. It just feels like I'm a, I am being used. I'm being used. I'm being lied to. I'm being taken advantage of and I have to protect myself. And then I end up taking action or acting out or, or withdraw, like whatever. And, and then killing the thing that I want. And that is what people do when their core story gets activated is they let it ruin their present day experiences. And so I am learning about ways to stay aware in the snow globe experiences. So thoughts pop up. He describes them as like popcorn kernels popping up. And every thought that's in your head isn't the thought of your logical mind. And a ton of them are not based in reality at all, especially once you get activated. And uh, this talks about practices where you just label the thoughts. So, uh, and just let them keep going past. If you don't say them out loud, you don't take action on them. You don't project them onto someone else and you just experience them. I used to talk about like riding things out like a bad trip. So like uh, it used to be thoughts of abandonment um, would be projected onto the present moment and I would feel like I would have to get in front of it. And I have not mastered this at all, but I am uh, meditating on this idea of uh, I got super fucking activated last night and I just started to understand, okay, these thoughts are coming at my head a million miles a minute and they're not based in reality, uh, I'm wanting to blurt them out and I blurt one out. Now I've given it life. And, and then I'm like, I didn't feel this way five minutes ago. I haven't felt this way for the last four days. Now I'm talking like this fucking thought is fact. Uh, I've been fine. And so, but now I've given life to this thing. And then now I hate myself because I've said it out loud. I hate myself for being so vulnerable. I hate myself for being so weak. Now I'm reacting to your reaction to my, you know, and there's a fucking million things. And this book talks about just like experiencing your thoughts and being like, this is the thought uh, that I wish she would love me. This is the thought uh, that I uh, need her approval. This is the thought. And just labeling them as just thoughts and letting them go by and then getting to the point where you can categorize the story or the core belief you know this is the core belief that I'm not worthy of love this is the core belief that you know whatever the the thoughts are until they become this just abstract experience that you're sitting through and not something that becomes reality every time you're experiencing it yeah the same that we talked already about how like you when you were saying that when you're upset or when you're in pain physical or emotional reading about it is what helps yeah you know i think that awareness is the key it's what helped me through this the last six days i wish i could make it go away completely but you're just talking about it now um I mean, I can, it is, it is helpful to know that like, I can say, well, this is just about that day. I remember that day so well when she said that to me and uh, it's just about that. I wish that there was some way to go back and fix that, but I think just be, being aware of it is a, is a good start. Just being aware uh, and labeling it, seeing the snowflakes for what they are and just standing there in the snow and just being like, it's just, I know what it is. I don't have to let it stop me. Yeah, I can. I know what I know what these are, and I know where I'm at right now, and I know that this is an old feeling. Yada 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 yada. Huh. We should wrap up. Yeah, I feel like we've got everything. Yep, covered it. 
All right, Jesse, you sign us off this time. Make sure you tell them about Patreon and stuff. Come on. We've got a Patreon. You go you to Patreon. <laughs> Hey guys, check out our Patreon. www. <laughs> Do they do that anymore? I mean, I don't know. Patreon.com backslash Mormon and the Meth Head. There's so many good episodes on We've got there a now. Sunday school coming up. If you guys are interested in the book of Ether, you know, that'll be out soon. Uh, and uh, I always feel like I'm going to tell people stuff at the end of the show and then I always forget. But thanks for letting us be emotional and dumb and talk about our onions and stuff like that. And hopefully uh, you guys have a good day. We love you. If you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and Jessa Reed are friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. It's a good show!